there is a problem in this world that many people are suffering from. However, not many people are talking about it. And it's a problem that we do have options to be able to fix. And that is what we will focus on in today's podcast because we will be talking about incontinence. Now, many people believe that incontinence is just a piece of life. It's something that everyone will get to at some point, especially if you have kids, but that might not necessarily be the case. So today, I brought on Christina Christie, who is a female pelvic floor specialist, to talk about ways that people can retrain their pelvic floor so that they don't have to suffer from incontinence. But first, go ahead and cue the intro. Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Welcome back, my Summit for Wellness tribe. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and today's episode is brought to you by Perfect Keto, which has a ton of awesome keto products that you can use if you are following the keto diet. But what I like the most out of their products is their powdered MCT oil, and that is because I'm a lightweight backpacker, and it's a lot easier to bring some powdered lightweight products with me than it is to carry... Uh, liquid-based MCT oil. So if you are into the outdoors industry at all, if you like to go hiking, backpacking, then go check out Perfect Keto. You can go to summitforwellness.com slash perfectketo. Okay, as I said in the beginning of this episode, we are going to be diving into a topic that a lot of people just assume is a natural thing that happens later on in life, and that is incontinence and pelvic floor issues. So I brought on Christina Christie to talk with us about different ways that you can retrain the pelvic floor so that you're not suffering from incontinence or prolapses or anything along those lines. So let's dive right into my interview with Christina Christie. Christina Christie is a senior physical therapist and women's and men's health manager for Athletico Physical Therapy. She is also the president of Pelvic Solutions, which specializes in functional education for the pelvic core region and utilizes a biomechanically designed fitness product called the Pelvic Core. Thanks, Christina, for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me, Brian. I greatly appreciate it. So I know you've been in the physical therapy world for quite some time. Can you talk about what made you so interested in physical therapy and what brought you to this point now? Yes, well, it's it's an interesting journey. Um, I first started applying to PT school and at that same time was actually teaching aerobic classes at a women's workout world of all places, leg warmers and all. And <laughs> the uh, women would always be asking me questions about you know, certain things related to their health, to their fitness. And because I had a fitness and dance background, I could answer some of them, but some of them I I didn't know how to answer. So when I was going through my first few years of undergrad, you know, I took anatomy and physiology courses, and that certainly led me on the path to physical therapy. But one of the pivotal moments was when my own mother had um, severe pelvic organ prolapse. And she started to develop pelvic organ prolapse shortly after I was born. And as I was entering PT school, really didn't know much about it. She ended up having to have um, a surgery. And at that time, there really wasn't any physical therapy offered to her. A year later, she had to have a second surgery because the first surgery basically had failed. Um, And again, no physical therapy was offered to her. And and because I was just starting out in the PT world, you know, I did not know how to help her at that time. So I saw a need in the women's health world um, as I continued to learn more about women's health aspects. I also had a sister who suffered from a very traumatic um, forceps delivery with her first child, 
which ended up in a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction and she ended up seeking to have a home birth with her second child. So seeing those things that happened to people that were very close to me and seeing the lack of care that was out there um, prompted me to explore more. So when I was actually in PT school, I had the benefit of mentoring on one of my clinicals under a women's health therapist whose name is Rhonda Cotarinos, and, and she's a big women's health therapist out here in Chicago who is still practicing. And she introduced me to the world of women's health physical therapy at that time. I got to see many labor and deliveries um, in the labor and delivery room with her. Um, I was fortunate enough to experience a lot of different types of female um, pelvic floor dysfunction that she was able to treat. And it was fascinating to watch the approach as well as what the reaction was because many of these women basically said to her that she saved their lives. So that prompted me on that path and I decided that I wanted to specialize in that. So Rhonda at that time actually taught continuing education courses and prior to even graduating from PT school I was able to take one of her um, continuing education courses while I was on clinical that was all about pregnancy and, and postpartum. So that really opened my eyes and continued to lead me down that path. So taking a number of different continuing education courses that focused on women's health but then in 1992, I met Gary Gray and was fascinated by the world of applied functional science and saw the difference between continuing education that was offered for the orthopedic and sports medicine type therapist versus the women's health clinicians and saw that there was a gap between those two worlds. So as I continued to learn and, and continued to work with patients, I continued to attend um, Gary's courses and was one of those people in the classes that would always be raising my hand and saying, uh, Gary, how, what about pregnancy or what, what about if a woman has incontinence? And he would look at me and sometimes he could answer, but he finally looked at me and said, you know, I think you just need to put a course together. So that happened in 2005 and in 2006 we, we taught our first female chain reaction course that was meant to bridge the gap between the women's and men's health world and orthopedics and sports medicine. And going back to when you went to PT school, at that time, did they think that PT could help at all with pelvic floor issues? Or was that just something that doctors would set aside and not think about? Well, in actual the schooling, um, when I was in the entire PT program, you know, we in that entire two years, we had about two hours worth of women's health information. So if that answers that question, um, yes, they spoke a little bit about it, but it was all focused on just the pelvic floor in a very isolated fashion. And the main thing that people knew to do back then were Kegels. And I will tell you, a Kegel is a an okay starting point. Um, I thank Dr. Arnold Kegel for way back when bringing awareness to the pelvic floor muscles and you know putting his name on our pelvic floor muscles. <laughs> However, I also want to bring awareness to the fact that muscles never work in a completely isolated fashion. So there's a much bigger picture and a much broader base of care that we can offer these women than just Kegels. Um, so in PT school, to answer that fully, uh, about two hours worth. And I had to obtain all of that further education after PT school in further continuing education classes. Yeah, that's pretty sad that there's only two hours of that. That's mm -hmm. very similar to how doctors, through all their years of training, they only get about four hours of nutrition, if right. that. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of holes in the different types of training out there, but that's why continuing education is so important. So you've been talking about the female pelvic floor. Is there a difference between the female pelvic floor and the male pelvic floor, or are they pretty much the same? 
No, there, there is quite a difference. I mean, we do have muscles that are named similarly. And if I can back up for just one second, you know, just to, to show what the pelvic floor um, is connected to and is involved with, you know, our core, everybody always knows our core as our abdominal muscles. However, the abdominal muscles are fascially connected to the pelvic floor muscles. And then we have our back and hip muscles at the back and our respiratory diaphragm at the top. And all of those muscular groups are fascially interconnected and they have to work together as an integrated unit to help manage intra-abdominal pressure, which greatly affects bladder and bowel function. So in order to then distinguish the difference between female and male pelvic floor, we have biomechanical differences in the respect of the pelvis. So if we look at the female pelvis, it is wider. It is has a more shallow pelvic cavity, has a more circular pelvic cavity versus the male pelvis is more vertical, more narrow. And that has to do with the difference in the organs that we have. You know, when we're dealing with the female pelvis, we're dealing with the bladder, the bowel, and the uterus. And when we're dealing with the male pelvis, we're dealing with the bladder, the bowel, the prostate. Um, but their pelvic floor muscles for the males tend to be more dense in nature. So thicker and more dense in regards to the fascial tissue. In regards to the female pelvic floor muscles, because of the width of the pelvis and the ischial tuberosities are wider in comparison to, wider apart in comparison to the male pelvis, those pelvic floor muscles have different angles in comparison to the male pelvis. And then of course we have a different opening that allows for, you know, babies to be born. So that creates almost a, a fascial difference in regards to the integrity of support. So it's even more important for the female pelvic floor muscles to be able to be supportive to have mobility, to have strength, and to be able to provide that support to our pelvic bowl organs because females by nature are going to be more vulnerable to issues with pelvic organ prolapse, which we can explain further, you know, a little bit later, but men don't deal with those type of issues. They deal with other types of pelvic floor issues. And so is there also a change in the pelvic floor uh, before pregnancy and then after and during pregnancy as well, or is there just minor changes there? Well, if you look at the female lifespan compared to the male lifespan, because the female lifespan has variations in hormonal um, issues, because when a female starts their menses every month, their body's going to be going through different hormonal changes, which will influence the mobility, the stability of the systemic tone through those pelvic floor muscles. Then when a woman does become pregnant, we have a even greater load of the hormone relaxin, which then allows for a softening. And um, you'll see the ligaments, the tendons, the muscles, everything become more lax. You know, women will say that their foot size, you know, might grow by a half or a full size during pregnancy. And part of that is because the ligaments and the tendons actually soften and the longitudinal arch will lower, which then changes the structure of the foot, which if you are an applied functional science follower, you'll know how that if the foot is affected, that will affect how the hip loads and affect how the pelvic floor loads. So you can see how it's all interconnected. But pregnancy for many women is when pelvic floor dysfunction will start. That's not to say that women who've never been pregnant may have that dysfunction. And I do see quite a few of young female athletes, high school level, middle school level, college level, that also have pelvic floor dysfunction for various reasons. But pregnancy for many women is when that dysfunction will start. So throughout pregnancy, all their um, 
tissues start to relax. And then I would assume after pregnancy, then the tissues should go back to their original state in a way. But a lot of people are suffering from uh, these tissues staying relaxed. So what is causing them to stay relaxed and having issues after pregnancy? Well, it's it's more an issue of, unfortunately, the lack of care that is provided to postpartum women and the entire postpartum population. You know, in many of the Northern European countries, a any woman who has a baby, it is a requirement that they meet with a physiotherapist for six to 12 visits after they deliver in order to give them the education to improve their overall pelvic core health. However, in the United States, we don't do that. We wait for a problem to start, and then we backtrack and we say, okay, let's now try and fix this, versus giving the information and education on the forefront. So when a woman has a baby, and depending upon if she is nursing, you know, that hormonal load will still be influencing her body for as long as she's nursing. And once she stops nursing, those hormones can take up to about six months to go back to the normal levels of a non-pregnant body. So with that said, we have to be able to provide better education for women in the postpartum period in regards to what type of things they can be doing. Because right now, if a woman goes to her six or eight week checkup after having either a vaginal or a cesarean delivery, many times the doctor will say to them, well, you can, you can start exercising as soon as you feel good. And that's the only guideline that they are given. So what do you think most women do? They start going and probably doing basic exercises and probably want to do a lot of core strengthening because they want to try and lose some of that uh, baby fat that they developed. Absolutely. They, they start going right back into exercises that maybe they're familiar with. But many women also, because it's easy, they start running. And mm -hmm. the body is not ready to run at six or eight weeks postpartum. There has to be a progression. And that is one thing that we teach in the Female Chain Reaction um, Continuing Education course is a return to impact progression that has specific criteria to allow us to basically reboot that pelvic core neuromuscular system to get it working well again in the postpartum period while being respectful of the healing process and being respectful of what hormonal load is still present and the influence it, that it is having on that female body. So that's one reason why I got involved in teaching this type of education was to improve the education for the postpartum female and so that they can return to everything that they want to do without having dysfunction because currently you know I, I've been treating patients for almost 30 years now and it is heartbreaking when you have a woman sit in front of you that is suffering from pelvic pain incontinence pelvic organ prolapse and they're about maybe two years postpartum and they say to me, the doctor said I could go back to exercise at eight weeks postpartum. And I did. And now look where I'm at. And they developed all of this dysfunction because of the lack of guidance in the postpartum period. And they say to me, why didn't someone tell me this? Why didn't someone let me know that this is what could happen to my body? Because if I would have known, I would have taken a different approach. Yeah, that's really interesting that if you start too fast like that without properly preparing the body, then you can cause more damage later on. So let's kind of back up a little bit and talk about the progression to get back to that point. And I'm, I would assume that that goes back to the neuromuscular system and how the pelvic core is related to the neuromuscular system. So can you talk about that? Well, the, the pelvic core neuromuscular system, you know, we, we entitle that as that structure of the abdominals, 
the pelvic floor muscles, the respiratory diaphragm, the back and hip muscles, and how they all need to work together. However, it also influences and is influenced by other major systems in our body, meaning our digestive system, our urinary system, and our reproductive system. So many times I may have a female that has pelvic floor dysfunction, but they also have digestive issues, irritable bowel sy syndrome, um, gluten sensitivities, or celiac, that can go hand in hand. There's also reproductive issues that can go hand in hand with pelvic floor dysfunction. So we have to have that educational background to know that this pelvic core neuromuscular system can also be affected by all of those other systems. But if we take it purely from the biomechanical sense, we have to provide better awareness and education, not only for the public, but also for our medical world in regards to the doctors and the clinicians. Because if a physical therapist or a personal trainer or a group exercise instructor does not realize or has not had the education that distinguishes the difference between female biomechanics and male biomechanics, many times the females tend to be trained just like the men. And, you know, there's that fine line of, yes, a female should be able to do everything that a man should be able to do. However, we do have different biomechanics for a reason, and we just have to be respectful of what our biomechanics can allow us to do and when we should be doing that. So for example, if you have a pregnant female and they want to run into their third trimester, we'd give them certain guidelines to say, if you start having incontinence during that time, or if you have severe pelvic pressure or pelvic pain, that's a sign from your body that's saying, this might be too much right now at this time. And let's return to that in the postpartum period when we can give you those better guidelines. So an example of that would be we take women through what's called a developmental progression. So developmental progression refers to how we as human beings develop in the first year of life. And we would take different types of developmental progressions specific to that female's needs in order to, again, reboot that pelvic core neuromuscular system. So everything is working well and being supportive of the pelvic bowl organs and the pelvic floor so that they can remain continent, pain-free, and the support is there for those pelvic bowl organs. So going back to if a woman is experiencing incontinence uh, while she's pregnant and she mm -hmm. wants to continue to uh, exercise while she's pregnant, mm -hmm. if she is actively working on her pelvic core during that time, is she less likely to develop incontinence? Anytime, yes. The, the, the question would be absolutely yes. The, the more we can provide a balance between the mobility and the stability throughout the body during pregnancy, provide any type of support to that female because some of my patients might need to use something called a belly band or a baby belly belt so that hopefully we can decrease the negative effects that can happen to the female body just from purely being pregnant and then the recovery in the postpartum period. So I have many women that come to the exercise classes that I teach during pregnancy and many of them are able to do that up until the day before they deliver. And then we see women who participate in those type of exercise classes have much less dysfunction in the postpartum period and their recovery is faster. Now on the other end of the spectrum, is there a point where you can overtrain the pelvic cord too much because during pregnancy it is supposed to, where those tissues are supposed to relax? Can you train it too much to the point that uh, the pregnancy might not be as smooth as you would hope? Well, there. while I was um, working in one of the health systems that I worked in, I also taught childbirth education classes for many, many years. And one of the myths that was being taught through the childbirth education world was if you strengthen a muscle, 
it's going to get tighter. So don't do those type of exercises during pregnancy. And that actually is a myth. Um, the muscles are not going to get tighter in a way that is negative unless somebody is really excessively overtraining in a way that just causes tightness through their body. But if they are doing a well-balanced triplane, three-dimensional type program that incorporates the hips and the thoracic spine and the subtalar joint and working that core as a complete unit, that only is going to enhance their ability to labor. And we've had plenty of research that shows that the more active a woman is, and the more she exercises efficiently and effectively during pregnancy while being mindful of any precautions, that we actually see a decrease in those women's labor and delivery times by even up to about two hours. Wow, that's really fascinating. That's, I'm sure they enjoy less delivery time as well. Yes. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> who's been through labor and delivery appreciates any minute less. <laughs> <laughs> So can you talk about some of those triplanar exercises that you put your patients through? The Some really simple ones, and if, we, if we're talking about our freshly postpartum patient, you know, even just giving someone the cues of how to rock their baby triplanarly. So, you know, if, if you see a new postpartum mom in the grocery store, you usually see them rocking only in the frontal plane side to side. But we would teach them how to rock forward and backward in the sagittal plane at the hips, side to side in the frontal plane at the hips, and then we would have them twist right and left in the transverse plane. And we'd also have them do circles clockwise and, cl and counterclockwise. We'd also have them use different foot positions for that because anytime you change a foot position, that's going to stimulate the entire pelvic core neuromuscular system differently. So that can be a really easy one because we know they're going to be rocking their baby a lot, but if we give them different cues as to how to integrate triplane rocking, the mom benefits and the baby also benefits. I was going to ask, do, do you see differences in the babies in their ability to relax or even fall asleep in the arms by having these different motions um, while they're being rocked? Well, th think about, you know, when a baby was actually in the womb, you know, they were being tossed around in all different positions based on how mom was moving. So the more we can stimulate their vestibular system, their oromotor development, their ocular development by integrating those triplane motions, um, the more we can hope that that would only stimulate the baby more effectively versus always stimulating them in one plane of motion. And I have a question for you. What's your feelings of um, during the birthing process of the woman having her feet up in the stirrups? So can we talk about gravity? Of course. <laughs> so if we look, you know, through the history of labor and delivery processes, the history was most women would assume a squatting type position, a supported squatting type position when they would deliver because their body would inherently tell them what they needed and they needed gravity and ground reaction forces to help facilitate the downward progression of the baby. Now, fortunately, our bodies have the human ejection reflex, which means that that baby's going to get pushed out no matter what. However, can we make it more efficient and can we make it safer for the female body? Well, females were put on their back and feet were put up into stirrups when women started to deliver in a hospital setting. When that happened, you know, we did see increases in more intervention with labor and delivery because if you look at the curve of the path that the baby has to travel through, if a woman is on her back and her feet are up in stirrups, the baby actually comes out towards the ceiling against gravity versus being assisted by gravity. So then you saw many hospitals starting to introduce the squat bar into the labor and delivery rooms and allowing women to squat if they were able to 
and of course that also depends on whether they've had any type of medication or an epidural. And then also the birth ball started to be introduced into labor and delivery rooms where a woman could use the big Swiss exercise type balls and when they're in labor and delivery we call them birth balls but they can sit on them they can use them to lean forward if the ball is on the bed to put them in a squat position and basically if we can utilize gravity to help the baby to traverse downward that that's a helpful situation um, you also see many hospitals now using the elevated type bed where the bed can be raised and the woman is more in a semi-squat position in, in a seating type position versus those feet being up in the stirrups and the feet are on um, foot pedals instead. So yes, do I like that, that theory better? Absolutely. And certainly we were talking about this with Gary Gray at one point and he said, seems like we should kind of have maybe a situation just like when you go take your car to get its oil changed you know you pull the car in and and they're kind of underneath there working um maybe that would work for labor and delivery too <laughs> i've also heard that with having the feet up in the stirrups then the pelvis isn't um allowed to move in a transverse way as the baby is being born i've heard that um because so much of just the body and the tissues are in a spiral format that mm -hmm. the pelvis also moves in a spiral format yes. during the birthing process and that locks it down. The Having the pelvis against a surface is going to lock it down because the sacrum, the coccyx, they all need to move out of the way in order for the baby to traverse through. And they can't do that when they're locked against a surface. And then that's where you see a lot of women having tailbone or coccyx fractures um, because of that situation too. So even, you know, if you wanted to experiment and try this yourself, when you go down into a squat position, your ischial tuberosities move apart the AP span of the pelvis increases from the pubic symphysis to the coccyx and it just makes more biomechanical sense to have that ability to move during labor and delivery versus to just be locked down into one position. And how do you feel about water birthing? You know, I mean, many women have been very successful at water birthing. It all, it's, it's a very personal decision, but it also depends on what your body temperature is like because if I think of it for myself I'm someone who's always cold so that water would have to be super warm and hot for me to be comfortable which that's not going to be a, a good situation necessarily for the baby but for women who are comfortable in a lukewarm type setting or a little bit of warmth they've been very successful at that. Okay that's good to know. And then I've heard you speak before about incontinence and a lot of women think that incontinence is just a part of life and um, you just have to work through it. Is that your opinion on that or what do you have to say about that? Well, I will tell you with undue certainty that no amount of incontinence should ever be considered normal unless you've had a neurological insult like a stroke or MS or some type of neurological issue that has decreased the normal nerve conduction, nerve ability throughout the entire pelvic or neuromuscular system. If everything is in working order from the nervous system standpoint, no amount of incontinence should ever be considered normal. It means that there's something wrong and we should be able to address it. Now, for some women, they may have, you know, after labor and delivery, the bladder neck might get compromised. They might have something called a cystocele, which means bladder um, may be prolapsing or may be bulging through the anterior wall of the vaginal vault. And if that's the case, there are many things that we can do to help that from a functional perspective. So, you know, you think of what women see on TV today, you know, they see commercials for medications, you know, they see a woman being led down the street by her bladder, um, they see commercials for Depends undergarments or for the new streamlined type undergarment that is supposed to be for those little bladder leaks. 
So that gives the impression that, okay, this must just be something that I'm going to deal with after maybe having a few kids or after I, you know, hit 50 or older or 40 or older, but it is not normal. And we can do something about it and women don't have to live in dysfunction like that because if you're in the fitness world, almost every trainer or group exercise instructor that I've spoken to have had women that needed to leave and go to the bathroom in the middle of a session or the middle of a class or they'll tell them I can't participate in certain types of exercises because I'm afraid I'm going to leak. So, you know, we can, we can do better than that. We can make it better for women, but we have to get the information out there. And so for women that are wondering if they have some pelvic core dysfunction and let's say they don't have incontinence or they might have incontinence, what are some other symptoms for them to be aware of uh, to be able to assess whether they need to go find someone like yourself to be able to help with uh, the pelvic core? So there's different types of incontinence. Um, stress urinary incontinence means that you leak urine if you cough, sneeze, or laugh. So any type of impact, you know, you're running, you leak urine, you jump, you leak urine. Um, so if that happens, that refers to stress urinary incontinence. Some women have the type of incontinence that's called urge incontinence, where they feel like they have to go to the bathroom constantly. So they may go to the, go to the bathroom, empty their bladder, they leave the bathroom, and within 15 minutes they feel like they have to go again. And then when they try to empty their bladder, very little comes out. So that's basically a nerve communication problem and a functional problem that again can be addressed through behavior modification sometimes dietary components come into play um, and then looking at the body as a whole why has there been a breakdown you know through the pelvic floor muscles you can have a mixture of urge and stress incontinence which is called mixed incontinence and then you also can have frequency which relates back to urge and then you have, can have something called nocturia. That means getting up at night to go to the bathroom. I have some women that when they start with me, they're getting up five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times during the night to go to the bathroom, which you can imagine how that would be because they're not getting very restful sleep. So, you know, normal bladder function should be you're emptying your bladder about every two to four hours. And that also is dependent upon how much fluid you're intaking and if you're on any type of medications that have any type of diuretic effect. So someone who's taken an antihistamine or a diuretic, they will tend to have bladder changes because of that medication. So again, normal during the day should be about every two to four hours with normal urgency. You shouldn't feel like you have to run to the bathroom and you shouldn't be leaking on the way to the bathroom. At night, normal is about zero to one time. Again, depending upon your fluid intake, when you, you take fluid in in the evening, and if you're on any medication that has that diuretic effect again. So if you fall outside of those parameters and you answer yes to I've had leakage with any of those issues or I go to the bathroom every 30 to 60 minutes during the day, or I get up three to 10 times during the night, that's not normal. And they should be seeking help for that. Awesome. And towards the beginning of the this episode, you were talking about um, how the pelvic core correlates directly down to the foot, which also creates a correlation between uh, dysfunctions in the PCNS and orthopedic injuries. Mm -hmm. So can you dive into um, how this can impact female athletes? Absolutely. And that brings us back to, again, why it's so important to understand the difference between female and male biomechanics. Because if we look at some stats just broad-based across the orthopedic world, for every one male ACL injury, there will be eight female ACL injuries, which is wow. astonishing. I mean, that's, that's at an epidemic level. And that can be sport career ending, you know, for those females. So when you look at that, you say, okay, well, why are females more vulnerable to an ACL injury? 
and we can bring it back to the female biomechanics and are we training them to enhance female biomechanics or are we training them like the male body and how can we do better by our female population by improving training for females versus males if we look at hip labrum issues females are going to be more vulnerable to hip labrum injuries and those hip labrum injuries can happen from issues of improper training as a young female athlete but many times a woman can suffer a hip labrum issue through the process of pregnancy and even labor and delivery because of the positioning women that have had a vaginal hysterectomy are more vulnerable to a hip labrum injury so when we look at two of the big orthopedic issues that we're seeing in the world of physical therapy ACLs and hip labrum injuries and we see a higher percentage of that in the female population we have to ask you know number one why and number two what can we do about it to make it better and one place that we can start is understanding female biomechanics because you know way back when when I was in school we were taught that when you do a squat you should keep your knees over your toes and behind your second toe and if you do a squat any other way you're going to actually hurt your knee and that's going to be detrimental to your knee however when you learned about applied functional science and you pair that with what's normal in the female body females have a larger cue angle from the hip to the knee when a female squats you tend to see more genu valgum so for many years we actually were doing patients a disservice by training them to not master that load into the transverse plane into genu valgum and how to master getting out of that to protect the knee instead we were teaching them how to function at one end of the spectrum versus through the entire spectrum to keep them safe so that would be one example of how can we improve training across the board for female biomechanics and again you know that comes back to why that female chain reaction course was developed was to be able to speak to that and give strategies in how to train our females better and at pelvicsolutions.com, you also have a product uh, called the Pelvic Core Pro mm -hmm. that can help with this as well. Do you want to talk about that product? The Pelvic Core Pro was developed right around the same time that we were working on developing the female chain reaction because I had taken courses where we would use, you know, a ball or we would use a TheraBand to provide resistance to hip internal and external rotation but it always had to be in a very isolated fashion and everything that I was taught with a ball or a band was always done on a table you know not necessarily upright and standing so I started to play around a little bit with my patients and tried to make shift you know what eventually turned into the pelvic core pro used internal and external biofeedback while we were doing that to see what would maximize the best function through the pelvic floor muscles and how we could get it to work at a submaximal level and a subconscious level and that's where the pelvic core was born so it basically is a strap and a ball that stimulates hip internal and external rotation accelerating it decelerating it but the the main goal behind it is you have to understand the applied functional science and how you perform three-dimensional type exercise with that resistance because you know the pelvic core is not a cure-all you know it is just another functional tool that meets the criteria of applied functional science of loading the body triplanarly so the example I can give you as to why maybe you would want to use a pelvic core over doing just your traditional pelvic floor exercises would be a Kegel is like if I were to do a maximum biceps contraction and hold it there could I function with my arm 
you know, throughout the day. Well, that's, that's basically, you know, what women are told. They're told to contract their pelvic floors at maximum level and hold it there while they're functioning. And that's not truly how the pelvic floor muscles function. They actually activate symmetrically and asymmetrically, and they do it at a submaximal level. And they should kick in subconsciously, meaning that we need to create that environment of the right chain reaction to occur so those muscles kick in automatically. And that is something that we've been able to facilitate by using the pelvic core ball and the pelvic core training methods. Um, so when you use this ball, you do all different types of three-dimensional exercises that help to retrain the pelvic floor muscles to work as an integrated unit with abdominals, hip and back muscles, and respiratory diaphragm. And as long as you understand the strategies and the principles behind it, it can be a super effective tool for that. And then the fun part is, is we developed a lot of exercise classes that are always full. I may teach four different exercise classes during the week, three that are yoga um, based with the pelvic core ball, and one that is a sit and fit one for the senior population. And those classes are always full. There's always anywhere from, you know, 25 to 40 people in the class, depending on the location I'm teaching, because they have different size rooms. But everybody feels so much better after that type of workout, because we basically has, have just improved the proprioceptive communication of how their foundation needs to work. Yeah, you are retraining the pelvic core to function the way it's supposed to. Yes. Now, when people get the Pelvic Core Pro, is there a DVD that comes with it as well that has exercises they can do at home? There is an instructional DVD that it comes with that has all five programs on it in regards to pregnancy, fitness athlete, incontinence, women's health, and men's health. And then we also have a 50-minute cardio DVD that is a 50-minute workout, low-impact workout um, that we have that's an additional purchase. But our goal, because everybody has been asking me this for many years, and I, I just have been initially a little bit of hesitation because I wanted it to be perfect, um, was to get things online and to allow for either streaming and or downloadable versions of the workouts. And we are currently working on that. and. Once that is ready to go, that'll be up on our website. And you've graciously provided us with a discount code um, for $10 off of the Pelvic Core Pro. So if people go to pelvicsolutions.com and enter the code SAVEME10, then you can get $10 off. And I will also have that in the show notes as well so people uh, can see it in the show notes. And you have a couple female chain reaction courses coming up in September and October. And if people go to thegreatinstitute.com, uh, they can find the female chain reaction courses there. Is that just for practitioners or can general population go as well? The female chain reaction courses are developed as continuing education courses. So we normally have physical therapists, personal trainers, chiropractors, osteopaths, group exercise instructors, yoga instructors. Um, so pretty much anybody in the um, health or fitness world is what the course is designed for. In the past, I have had a few people attend that were technically not in the health and fitness world. They were from other types of professions, but they really wanted to learn this information. So, you know, we're not going to deny if somebody really wants to attend it and we don't have a restriction that, you know, they can't. It's just if they wish to get CE, continuing education units, um, that is approved through the Gray Institute for all the different continuing education bodies that give those type of approvals for the different either licensures and or certifications. Awesome. Do you have any final words that you want to say about the female pelvic core? Well, I would just like to really thank you again, Brian, for taking the time to talk about these issues because 
many times in our female chain reaction course we have a higher percentage of females in the course than men and you as a man I greatly appreciate you taking the time to delve into the subject because many times you know men get a little skittish about this they're like I don't know if I want to go there and I don't necessarily think I treat that but I'd really like everyone to realize that no matter who you work with they have a pelvic floor and if it's working better for them you're going to be significantly improving the quality of their life which can be absolutely life-changing for anybody that you work with whether it's from a patient perspective a client perspective or just giving this information to some of your close family members so I appreciate you Brian being able to take the time to dive into this because I know it can be a sensitive subject for many but again they're muscles and Yes, they're involved in a lot of different systems, but if we can get better education out there, we can really help make a difference across both the female and the male men's health population. And like you said, we all have pelvic floors, so we can't really get away from it. No. So, mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you and all the stuff that you're putting out there about the female pelvic floor. And hopefully anybody suffering from incontinence can get some help that they deserve. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian. And there you have it. If you are suffering from any kind of incontinence, then please go take a look at Christina Christie and everything that she's been working on in order to retrain the female pelvic floor. And if there is a way to make it so you don't have to worry about where every single bathroom is on every outing from your house, wouldn't that be worth looking into a little bit more to see if there is a way that she could help you? I think it is. So go take a look at her stuff over at pelvicsolutions.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please go on to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. They do help the podcast to get out in front of more people, and iTunes really likes to see podcasts with lots of ratings and reviews. I did change up the intro a little bit. Um, I'm curious about what you guys think, doing a little different types of intros and whatnot. If you hate it, let me know. If you like it, also let me know. So I am here to provide you lots of information and valuable information, but also make it somewhat entertaining. So uh, please give me any kind of feedback that you guys enjoy or don't like so that I can change the podcast as needed to better fit your needs. Keep climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next week.